Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jerry, And I'm Jo. And this is our second podcast on our journey through the life course. Each month, one podcast will be dedicated to the human journey through the social work lens from pre-birth to end of life. This one is going to be on infancy. It is. And thank you for listening to our podcast. We've just hit 30,000 downloads, some of which are me or my mum. But (laughs) (laughs) we do have listeners, which is great. And I had a look at the most popular ones, and they're still the ones on integrity, which is our very first one, and on assessment from last series. Um, The ones that need a little bit more love are from series one, uh, 5A on social work environments and 10A on organisations and uncertainty. Um, But there's a couple of people to thank from um, who've recently um, liked us or posted us. Melanie Sage at the University of Buffalo has shared our podcast on a spreadsheet of social work podcasts. Um, Matthew Purves in Stockport has shared us on Twitter and we've had various likes on Facebook from Rachel Brown and Paige Daly um, on LinkedIn from Richard Vickers, Alison Harris, Becky Reynolds and Anthony Wilde. And we do notice and every time people download or look at our podcast or um, listen to us, it it's really it really matters to us. So thank you for that. And do tell us what you think by visiting our website www.helpfulsocialwork.com commenting on iTunes or on our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast. Yeah, um, it's really interesting, Jerry. Someone asked me the other day why, why I podcast. Um, and I said that it was um, because both of us were very passionate about social work and thinking about social work. And that honestly, we just love talking to each other about social work and social work topics. And we thought that you know, as a profession, it's really important that we keep being curious about our own profession and exploring it, and we wanted to share that with others. Um, but I thought that was an interesting question. You know, what was I hoping to get from it? That's what they, that's what they were asking. Certainly not fame, is it? Um, it's no. more. It's more the... Yeah, you're right. It's the curiosity and the conversation ourselves. I mean, I, if nobody ever listened to it, I would still love doing it. But it is also good to know that there are people out there thinking about the same kind of things. Absolutely. And perhaps having conversations um, that we would like to listen to as, as a result of what we've been talking about. Yeah, it's sparking that idea in other people as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so if people have ideas about they want, what they want us to talk about or particular questions, please get in touch. We would really like to hear from you. Absolutely. Now, this second episode, looking at the human journey, um, is really we're trying to think about how we grow and evolve and what that means for social workers who are alongside us on that journey. And in this case, as I said, it's about thinking about infancy. Yes. So infancy, I had a look at the definition of it. I'm not a children's social worker, as people who've listened to these podcasts before will know. Uh, Although I did do life development, um, which was essentially child development when I was at university a long time ago doing my social work course. Infancy, I looked it up, it's the earliest period of childhood, especially before the ability to walk has been acquired, or the stage of being an infant, or an early stage of existence. So you can say that anything's in its infancy, like, you know, um, driverless cars are in their infancy. And also legally, it can be the state or period of being a minor. So 
legally infancy can last to 18 but generally it's the earliest stage of childhood and I also found out you might have known this already Joe that it comes from the Latin infants which means not able to speak so I immediately I was that. thinking about the social work role as the voice you know we're alongside someone here who who can't speak for themselves yeah and it, I mean the thing is of course infants can communicate and can communicate really strongly. But yes, there's a different, you know, in our society, that value that we put on being able to speak is 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 really critical. So yeah, that's a, and they're all about communication and connectivity. That's the thing, as a species, we love to be connected and to communicate with each other. Um, and speaking is a small part of that communication. So yeah, it'll be interesting to, to think about how we develop our communication. But um, we, we kind of thought we'd start with that question, didn't we, which is like we did in pre-birth, what happens in infancy and how does it impact on the life we live our, our whole life long? And for me, when I think about infants, this is, this is a time of like super growth. Everything in a newborn is programmed to grow. The brain is experience expectant. It's relying on interactions with other humans in the environment around it to trigger development. It's very exuberant in this period. It's responding to the experiences, trying to make sense of the world around it. And there's a saying that kind of what fires together wires together. In other words, if we experience warm, consistent care when we feel hungry or thirsty or tired or frightened, then we'll learn that making our needs known through vocalising and body language gets those needs met. It motivates us um, to continue to communicate and explore the world around us. So all these processes and many more occur during infancy, and it makes it a really crucial time for building the foundation blocks of our emotional life, our attachment model, our ability to regulate ourselves, our sense of competency and interacting with the world around us really is grown and developed from that early, early time, that infancy time. I find that really fascinating because my work has always been with adults and very often with older adults that the uh the legacy and the the kind of ripples from very early mm. infancy go right through the whole of your life how we relate to other people and how we manage ourselves and how we feel about ourselves and who um, we see ourselves as the mm. identity stuff we were talking about last week yeah and also for myself i know that there are times when i revert to a much more sort of uh, intuitive response to things which I presume is also linked to our behaviours in infancy and our understanding from infancy when we kind of go back to instinct some of mm. that will have very long um, I'll have roots into yeah, roots. our childhood mm. yeah absolutely it, no, it's, and, and that's why you know people are so passionate about early intervention and getting in there as early as you can and trying to make sure that during that those first three years of life where we're really really uh, sucking everything in and growing and thinking that we have the best possible start you know because it's not only our brains and emotional world growing it's our physical world too you know I mean you would have seen a baby you know throw its arm out and then realize that actually they have some ability to do that and then for a while they're just absolutely fascinated by their own arm or their own foot, 
you know, they start to realize, oh, it's me doing that. It's part of me. Um, you know, they start to realize they can move their limbs through thought, that they're capable of grasping and holding. They're using their mouth to give information about different textures and tastes, so everything goes into the mouth. We learn when we drop something, someone will pick it up. So we drop it again just to check <laughs> and again and again. And all of these actions and reactions are teaching us as, as humans what to expect and understand about the world around us. So society is very vested in making sure that that world that surrounds the infants is as rich and as helpful as it can be, um, all with the aim of producing adults who are vested, capable citizens. Yes, there is an instinctive response, isn't there, to an infant? Um, mm -hmm. That yeah, you, you you when they look at you, you look at them, and yeah. you kind of smile and you make faces, and it's almost without conscious thought that mm. you would interact. Yeah, we're programmed to want to protect, actually. Um, and infants are excellent communicators. They use that face and their big eyes and the vocalising and the body language to communicate their needs and to draw adult faces into them. Uh, but newborn infants really need a lot of face time. They need lots of adult faces around them. Um, TV is not as good for teaching language or for allowing that kind of attachment regulation and competency model to build in the same way as lots of different faces are. And babies know that, you know, they're looking for those opportunities to make adults respond to them, and they do. And they're learning language and um, emotionally developing, physically developing and, and growing really, really rapidly. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, that there's so much going on for an infant and yet they are dependent. So there's that real kind of contrast in a way between how much they're getting on with and also how much they need from others around them. Yeah, they're completely dependent on adults and older children around them to keep them safe, keep them nourished and interpret the world for them. No. Yeah, and I, one of the things I found really helpful as a non-child um, social worker was uh, a chart that Research in Practice did a few years back, which really helpfully sets out some of the big things that are going on um, actually up to 11 years but I was looking at the sort of um, the first couple of years and it's divided into developmental theory where you're looking at um, physical cognitive and emotional milestones so physical things that people are starting to uh, that, that infants are starting to do responding to their own name um, wanting to know have familiar adults around them that kind of thing um, then the cognitive theory so how they're thinking about and interacting with the surrounding world um, and really just starting to understand um, the world through their senses um, and what you were just talking about exploration and manipulation of surroundings um, and then the psychosocial theory um, where they're starting to um, develop trust hopefully through good experiences um, and starting to understand that they have some autonomy so just really, really interesting kind of um, for any human actually to think about how we've how we start to develop. Mm. Yeah, um, child development charts are very helpful for us um, and they really just kind of centre us back down and they help. And what the nice thing about this chart, of course, is it helps remind us 
that it is your physical development, it's your brain development, and it's your emotional development. So there's, you know, there's um, three different types of development going on the whole time. Um, so before we get into more about the social work role, the other thing that I did want to talk about when I was thinking about infancy, um, I actually was thinking about um, equality as well, because mm. one of the things that we do talk about in the world is um, how well humans survive infancy. And of course, historically, because I'm a historian by background, many infants didn't survive infancy. Mm. Um, but actually... And we, you know, we still look at infant mortality and um, a reduction of infant and child mortality as a target in our sustainable development goals. And it's also um, really quite quite a strong indicator of how well a society is doing, how well we yes. look after these most dependent um, humans, really. Um, and a you know, really positive story globally in that infant mortality is re reducing massively. So between 1990 and 2015, it went down from 65 deaths per thousand live births to 29. Um, but of course, we still have a big issue with inequality because the absolute vast majority of infant deaths occur in developing countries. Mm. And a lot of that is associated with nutrition, but mm. also um, uh, deaths amongst you know, very young children is, is strongly associated with um, infectious diseases as well. And Many of them which are preventable. Yeah, so respiratory mm. diseases like pneumonia, but also um, diseases like malaria. Mm. Um, and then we have this this big connection, which we won't go into loads here, here I don't think, but just, just to highlight it, that there is a strong connection between class, social class and infant morta mortality. And there always has been historically. Um, yeah. So your your life chances from very, very, very start of life um, are connected with your social and economic position. I think that's really critical for social workers to remember, actually, Jerry. Uh, both that, you know, we are a global organisation, social work is a global activity, and so therefore there are many parts of the world where there are still some real struggles um, around improving mortality rate, and also that in our own society here, that it is more likely um, that infants will find it tougher. In, in situations where there's also poverty. And, you know, we know that there is a lot of poverty in this country at the moment. So it's something for us to be holding in mind. Failure to thrive um, is, is something we need to be looking out for. Yeah, and that, that's that understanding of thriving as being the, the, the infant thriving within their close network but also within the much wider context so much more uh, ecological understanding of what it means to thrive and what's needed to thrive exactly and the social work role comes into play you know when the adults and the communities into which the child is born are unable to provide all that the infant needs to thrive um, with that goal in mind of them becoming a healthy and active member of society um, you know and that is it does take um, a community to raise a child. It does take a village to raise a child. And the environment that children are born into has to be protective as well as the parents. In children's social care, we particularly focus on infants because they're most likely to suffer significant harm should their needs go unmet. But it's a really contentious area to work in 
society has a real vested interest in ensuring that the species thrive and social work is actually part of the investment that they make and there's a real tension between the rights of the child which as far as I'm concerned are actually very limited and often attached in practice to the adult that they belong to um, and the tension between the adult who's responsible for their well-being and this really places the social worker right in the middle of disputed territory. Yeah, we talked about this a bit with pre-birth, didn't we, around the, the idea that the um, the social worker was there to kind of check that people are doing the right thing um, rather than yeah. necessarily seen as someone to offer help, which is how you know ideally it would happen, that um, we'd be there to support and be alongside um, infants and their families and communities. I hope that we're moving from a time where parents are seen as other and children's social workers see themselves as being there on behalf of the child alone. I mean, when we talk about having an advocacy for the child because the child has no voice, that's right. But the child doesn't, a child doesn't exist um, as, as an entity entirely on their own. And for me, I kind of see children as, as like infants as the glue that hold communities together because they have no ability to wander off on their own, do their own thing or just live for themselves. They actually force the adults around them to stay put, be other-minded, form communities to protect them and build structures to educate and develop them. You know, infants, to my mind, are one of the key purposes of many of our actual societal structures. If we go back and think about, you know, why do we group and clump together? Um, many, many animals do the same. You know, you clump together, you put your babies in the middle to protect them. Um, and it's that same kind of instinct that we have. That's yeah, it's really interesting when you talk about the uh, communities coming around a child because I think that that we see that behavior a lot in our society that you know a child will bring people together and that's also I think the way that ideally social work would work that the social worker would be one of the people brought together around the child mm -hmm. and certainly the idea of team around the child or team around the family has that sense doesn't it of a of a community of practice really they're yes. the goal of, of supporting a child rather than the social worker as the overseer or the 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 checker upper mm, mm. it's very unhelpful um for a child i think to have a position where they are um kind of where the adults around them are pitted against each other you really want to have all of the adults having a healthy focus on their well-being and when you can't achieve that at all genuinely you can't achieve that partnership then you need to find um someone who is able to to you know be on the side of the child in that way um but we shouldn't be we shouldn't be pitted against anybody i don't think i just don't think it's helpful yeah so the the role then um, I, I had a look at your amazing assessment triangle that you use in children's services, and that it's does lovely, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does really give the the areas of work, doesn't it? So there's the area of work around understanding the child, there's the area of work around working with parents and families and communities, and then there's also an area of work around the environment, which to my mind is as, as broad as working with the whole of society to yeah. change the opportunities that children have. But if if we start with the child, um, we've got to enable development, really, 
within the areas that we know are important so they're set out in the assessment framework as well it's health education emotional and behavioral development identity family and social relationships social presentation and self-care skills and i should have just asked you to close your eyes and name them because <laughs> you probably I could. Been able to yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's really about having an understanding of child development isn't it yeah, and it's so important um, when you're working with infants to understand what that so-called normal development is. Um, and I think there's always some tension around discussing normal as there's an implication that anything different from that is bad. And I hope in social work that we see anything else just as different and that different needs another response to the one that we usually use, that's all it means. Most children, if you do A, B and C, will be able to do these things perfectly well. For some children, you will need to do D and E instead. And I think it's really helpful for parents of infants who are not following that normal developmental pathway to know how to respond differently to enable their infant to thrive and develop. Um, and for me, I started off actually, Jerry, disabilities, the field of disabilities was my first love um, over 30 years ago, I started off working in a respite centre. And um, during the time that I've worked as a social worker, our attitude towards disability or differing ability is changing, in my opinion, and for the better. For me, when we think about child development, normal development, disabilities, we need to be part of those debates. We should be able to understand and talk about when difference is too difficult for an infant to bear and manage for themselves and when it's something that society should be able to adapt to and benefit from. Um, because social work with infants is not all about protecting them from harm. It's really about understanding their role in the world, how they shape it, how we respond to their growing demands and complexity. Because the world, we're placing a, a lot of that complexity on their little developing shoulders. You know, how we raise our children from infancy is a question that we should all be concerned with, and, and social workers particularly, I think. And the social model does really help here and obviously came from the disability movement. So the idea that there may be a difference, but the the disability comes from the barriers that society places yes. around you. Uh, and actually, if we think about that model in child protection, as um, Bridge Featherstone and her colleagues did recently in their book, um, it works in child protection as well to think about, you know, there's, here's a child who's had different experiences. What barriers mm. are there then to this child thriving or to this family yes. thriving? Um, because it's not just about what they experience. It's also about our response to it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that... You know, Sorry, that just it lifts that dialogue out of that idea of social workers being protectors or rescuers of infancy and the infant is always being the helpless victim and it actually puts the infant in the context of a thriving society and the role that they have in that society and it gives them a different value, I think. Yeah, so as well as... Um understanding how children develop and and how we support development regardless of, of you know, um who the child is there's also then the things that impact on child development aren't there so that's both nature and nurture so we do need a systems 
approach to this um, and be thinking about how different elements interact and particularly how parental or carer well-being is interlinked with infant well-being um, uh-huh. and how the relationship or the relationships that an infant has affect their their growth and development and there's obviously lots of things that impact on how parents and carers and communities can support children well but there was a wonderful quote that I found which um, research and practice use quite a bit which is Yuri um, Bronfenbrenner um, in 2004 said to develop normally again we'll We'll leave aside what normal is. A child requires progressively more complex joint activity with one or more adults who have an irrational emotional relationship with the child. Somebody's got to be crazy about the kid. That's number one. And that's just a really wonderful way of thinking about it, that you've got to have just someone or a few people who mm-hmm. are really are really into you, are really interested in you. And of course, we know that there's lots of things that affect that focus you know that can preoccupy or distract or or disrupt Mm. that focus yeah and and one of the things so I always say when I'm working with social workers is you need to decrease the stress and raise the joyfulness in interactions so you want to minimize and manage the things that are causing stress and distress and help people know how to do that. And you want to increase the things that are cause that, that that bring joy and joyfulness in the relationship between the parent and child. Um, and that's you know helping them have the space and time to be crazy about their kid, because actually that wonderful emotional relationship that you can throw yourself into with the infant requires time and it requires space. And it requires energy. And a lot of what social workers should be doing is looking at how we can help parents get those things if they've been stretched or pushed away. And of course, also when parents are under a lot of pressure um, or communities are under a lot of pressure, sometimes their coping strategies, although effective for kind of getting through the day, are not effective for helping children you know being around an infant so things like using alcohol or drugs Mm. um, or smoking Mm. um eating unhealthy food yeah absolutely there's because at the end of the day of course an adult has their own needs for nurture and care and growth and development adults don't stop growing we don't stop developing and in some way the child is is in competition for some of that time and some of those resources um and what we're looking for is adults being able to put the child first before them and not force the child to compete with them because that's where the problems come from because children they can't do that they they're um they're not able to compete successfully with us they're completely um reliant on us Um, and I mean, you've, it's probably worth us talking about who raises children as well. Because um, again, the social worker tends to kind of come in to support a unit um, mm. rather than being seen as part of the group that would be raising a child anyway. Um, so, and, and in other countries, it's quite a different approach, isn't it? There's a lot more community involvement. So I think in our society, we raise infants in nuclear families um, and 
Others do have a more communal approach where their care of the infant is shared more widely or where grandparents or other relatives have much more say in the day-to-day -day practical care of the child. And this is especially true where it's economically viable, that the parent who's most able is working to support the whole extended family. And the way that the other members of the family contribute is by raising the child. Um, you know, in our own society, until quite recently, really, we mostly had um, a gender-based childcare role. So women stayed home and raised the child and men went out and worked. And, you know, that change to how we manage things has led to a huge debate in our society about how much care an infant should experience outside the parental home. I mean, there's huge disagreements because it's often the people we're working with don't have the same kind of choices. Um, you know, because money um, actually equals opportunity. And poverty, which is often associated with neglect, is a real big impactor on how successfully we're able to provide for our infant. And it's not just poverty in monetary terms, it's also poverty in terms of connections. If you don't have extended family and you don't have financial resources and you need to work, that can create huge tensions. There's a couple of things you made me think about there. The first thing is the 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 baggage that goes along with um, looking at how people are parenting or what arrangements they've got, that it's not as straightforward as what's working for the child. There's loads and loads of assumptions and um, inferences and social and cultural ideas around, aren't there, about how this should be done. Um, but there's not an agreement, there's not a consensus, no. and it would be very easy for a social worker to add to the stress or guilt or potentially even shame that parents or carers might be feeling um, unwittingly or you know, or consciously by our assumptions about what choices people should be making or should be able to make. So that was, that was the first thing. And then the other thing that you made me think about is that for all that I say, I, I'm a social worker with primarily with older people, with adults, so... I don't need to think about infants that much. Actually, increasingly, grandparents are looking after infants and increasingly uh -huh. there are very much more intergenerational um, arrangements. And so really no social worker can say if they're working with anyone in a family that they're not working with infants because they probably right. will be. So it's just something for me to be aware of that there's lots of connections. And, and, and they're good connections. You know, if we can get to a stage where we're actually building rich communities of connectivity for infants to live in, that's where they'll thrive because that's where humans thrive. We know that loneliness is such a troublesome issue for our young adults, our older people, um, and infants are the same, actually. They need people around them. And they need people who are, as your quote said, you know, crazy about them. Um, so part of what social work is doing is trying to look at how our healthy communities can help raise infants in a connected way and in a way that doesn't, yeah, as you say, drop the guilt on everybody. Um, because babies are what a weighted topic Everyone everyone has an idea on how we should respond to babies, how we should treat babies, how we should bring up babies. Um, you know, anyone who harms a baby, you know, that's a real big taboo in our society.
yeah and so, so it should be we have to be know? really aware not only of our own um our own beliefs and values around this and but also our own experiences and also the fact that again like we talked about with pre-birth this is going to be a very emotionally resonant area of work where social workers will need support to do things well um yes. and to and to look after themselves and their colleagues uh, so yeah so I suppose that there's a lot of focuses aren't there when working with infants there's the direct support for the child to develop especially if there are barriers to that there's uh -huh. the work to enhance parent and care well-being and to build connections and relationships and social capital as you said kind of networks so that the infant has the support and the resource there's work around the relationships um, and attachment that parents and carers have um, and how and often I guess that will be a, a again work to unpick some of their own experiences in childhood mm. and then there's also this much wider work, work around opportunity for all infants so that they can be mm. they can thrive and can be yes. included and have access to support and that's where we can't just leave it to child protection social workers or children who need social workers it's all social workers have a role in that yeah. and all profession has a role in that questions for reflection so i had one and then you had a couple of others the, the first one that i came up with was how does my social work role contribute to a better start for all children mm. and then i thought how do i understand these societal expectations on parents of infants and is it actually reasonable and doable and then i thought about how do i think about normal development and different development and what is my language thoughts and actions around disability because I think the way that you talk about child development can either be incredibly helpful for parents or incredibly distressing um, and it's reasonable to have a most children are doing this approach in other words we understand that this is how the majority of children manage to acquire this but there also needs to be language around these are some of the things that you might be able to do to support your child to get there. You know, um, so yeah, it just made me think about all of that, the way we approach that whole area. And I guess the, the final thought that I have about this is that getting this right is really important. You know, we've talked earlier about the, the focus in this time, you know, in these few wow. years, because it's, these are really intense periods where it's important to offer lots of support and I suppose one of the things that I'm always conscious about is that these gorgeous loved you know, infants that we're preoccupied with as a society become children and teenagers and adults and older people yeah. that we maybe don't um, think of in the same way and I suppose it's just um. bearing in mind when you meet someone who's older that they were once yes a baby you know that yeah um and that the level of of care and um interest that society takes in the first few years of life wouldn't it be great if we maintain that yes absolutely